0: Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Now this is after they presented the message of salvation. They've talked about our Savior. And they were warned to save yourself. And they succeeded. People did. Those who accepted the message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions and gave gave to anyone who was in need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together With glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. If Christians are called to go to war against the gate of hell, what role does going to church play in the conflict? That's what we're going to explore today. In the world that you and I live in today, far too many people have lost the fellowship and the intimacy of the fellowship of a church family. About 10 years ago, a man received a call from his mother while deployed in Afghanistan. And it was the weekend... And she asked if he had to work on Sundays. No, he, he, this is a true story. She asked him if he had to work on Sundays, and he replied, "Mom, we work every day. We're this is war." Now there's there's a fact that far too often we who are sitting in a church today forget the fact that we really do not grasp is that we are at war with Satan. The Bible is very clear about that place after place. When Peter declared, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, Jesus replied on this rock, on on Peter's testimony, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail it. Those words are found in Matthew chapter 16. Uh, I think it's starting in verse 18. For all to read to this day. Now, here's a picture of a gate in Israel, right? One of the, my Israel pictures. i got to get it out there somehow, right? And gates are attached to things like castles and fortifications. And they're designed to keep people like you and me out. But Jesus is saying that wasn't going to happen. The gates of hell will not prevail against us. We will not be kept out of Satan's fortress. We will enter and we will conquer and we will overcome. We will literally we're literally fighting a war that we can't lose. If we take it seriously. Jesus built his church not by brick and mortar. I mean, buildings are nice, but not by brick and mortar, right? But with people like you and me. He built his church with us and people all over this world so that you and I can take the fight to Satan. We're not here to, to defend buildings, we're here to conquer hell. We are an army on the march. Now, I'm somewhat of a history buff. If you've been here any time, you know you're going to hear history, right? And, and, and I read a lot about World War II. And one of the things that caught that's always caught my attention is that when Japan bombed Pearl Harbor, America was not ready for a war. They didn't have enough factories. They didn't have enough ships. They didn't have enough airplanes. They didn't have enough of a standing army to fight Japan, let alone take on Germany early. That's just a mathematical fact. We weren't ready. We're never ready. But within a very short time, that began to change. According to one source, World War II, now during World War II, each frontline soldier needed 18 people to meet their needs each day he needed 96 bullets 6 pounds of food and 20 pints of water a day and these basic needs amounted to one ton of material food and water and each month for every yard he advanced a soldier needed a team of 18 support people we forget that They needed clerks and cooks and mechanics and medic services just to meet his needs in the battle. Soldiers and their support team need each other. Just as we need each other. Now, why do I tell you that? Because it takes us to our very first thing that you and I are going to pull from our scripture verses today. Too many churches aren't ready to go to war with Satan. I'm sorry. They don't have the resources. They don't have the support group. They barely have a standing army. And one of the reasons they aren't ready for war can be summed up in 1 Corinthians 14.8. Now you may want to write that down in your sermon notes later. It's a great scripture to quote. 1 Corinthians fourteen. Verse 8. If the trumpet gives a distinct sound, who will get ready for battle? Now, depending on your version, it sounds very bad, but it's basic. If if the bugle's blowing, who's going to get ready for battle? Too many churches don't give a distinct call to battle. Too many churches do not sound a clear Call that we are at war with Satan's dark power. Who will get ready for battle? They're too busy playing church. They're too busy with programs. They're an entertainment of the crowd. They're just trying to do busy ministry. You know what I'm talking about, right? For themselves. And they, they're always worried about keeping it inside their walls. It's not about them and what they want. It's it's, But that's what they make it. They make it all about them and what they want and not God's kingdom. That's why we keep hearing people asking this annoying question. I, at least for me, it's annoying, but I'm going to give it to you. Do you have to go to church in this modern online world? They just don't see going to church as a priority. Now, I've got a couple of thoughts on that, or you know I wouldn't have said it, right? And I'm going to share with them about this. Now, understand. Now, I'm going to give you a couple examples. Bear with me. And I want you to understand this first. I'm going to give you these examples, and they're just designed to miss the mark by a little bit. Okay? but they're all used in the church a lot. The first thought is that missing the fellowship is like a flat tire. Good flat tire, right? Trying to live a Christian life without the fellowship of the church with each other is like driving on a flat tire. What happens? You're going to ruin your walk with God by running on empty. Right? You Anybody ever run on a flat tire? Okay, you tear it up, right? You know what I'm talking about. If you're struggling and you need some air in your tires, you got to go to church because that's each other helps fill it up. Now, this next one's going to get a little personal. And I might tick off somebody, but that's okay. Churches love putting up signs. We have a spot for you. You know that ad, right? And we miss you. Well, sometimes churches chase after the dogs all the time. The ones who leave. Okay? There are people out there who think that if everyone used to go, we would come back, it'd all be just perfect. Don't want anybody new. Don't want to change anything, right? We change all the time. We do things crazy. Give you a question. Let me ask you a question now. Do you think it's easier to get you up here to do communion or the kids up here to do communion? Who's the easiest? The kids. Now, who's cuter getting up here? You or the kids? They're new at this, right? We reach out to them. We put them to work. They don't know. They never say no. They're new. You know, so sometimes it's, we have a pew few Trying to get people back doesn't always work. Okay, and that's just my heart. Now, this next one's going to really get you now. Many people will tell you, you don't need to go to church to get to heaven. To which, my reply is, well, you don't have to have a parachute to jump out of an airplane. Okay, and that, that's a little in your face, I'm sorry, but... But it does certainly help to have a parachute to jump out of an airplane, right? And and like all these thoughts I've just given you, I shared the all these thoughts just made church about you and me. And that's one of Satan's tricks in this war. There was a huge church, or there is a huge church named Willow Creek. And they did a door-by-door survey. And they have enough people, they can do a door-to-door survey. They did over 100,000 people just door-to-door, knocking on doors, right? And and, and a few years back, and they asked people why they don't go to church. And I'm going to give you the five biggest reasons. It's boring. Was number one. Number two, in the priority, right? It's irrelevant. Number three. They're always asking for money. Number four, I'm busy already. And number five, I always feel awkward at church. Notice all these excuses reflect an attitude of church is all about me. And that's why people ask, why should I go to church? If I don't feel like being in with the church, why should I go on? That's why those ideas he gave you earlier just don't hit the mark. That's asking the question, why should I go to church? Is like asking a Marine, do I have to go to boot camp? Do I have to go through drill? Do I have to train and exercise all the time? Well, yeah. If you want to be ready for war, that's what you got to do. Do you realize that our, our nation's Marines, Army, Navy, Air Force, and Coast Guard don't ever have bribe people to come to boot camp? You don't get bribed to do that. Why not? Because when we have a volunteer army, once those folks sign up, boot camp's required. You're going to do it. They have to be there. In the same way, if you're going to be a soldier for the cross, you need to be here. Now, granted, the military punishes you if you don't show up. And we don't do that anymore. See, in full disclosure, that was not always true. Back in the year 1610 in Virginia, people who failed to show up for church for three consecutive services got punished. You know, that's 1610. And and in the dark ages, it was also true. But like I said, we the church do not punish people anymore if you don't show up for church. It's a really good thing I'm not God because I'd be zapping a few people. I've said that before. And that's irrelevant and, and it's wrong to say, but I'm just saying it from a human side, right? Church is boot camp. And Acts chapter 2, verse 42 tells us What Christian boot camp is like. They devoted themselves to the Apostles teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers. Now notice the first item on the list is the Apostles teaching. It's first for a reason. Without the teaching of the apostles, what we now call the New Testament, because they hadn't read it yet, the teaching of the apostles became the New Testament, we don't have anything. We're just a club, a, a social gathering, a group who hangs together. Too many so called churches today don't preach scripture. Too many churches ignore the Bible because it's inconvenient. Someone once said, The Bible is an armory of heavenly weapons, a laboratory filled with infallible medicine, a mind of inexhaustible wealth, a guidebook for every road, a chart for every sea, a medicine for every malady, a balm for every wound. Everything we know about Jesus, about God, about the Holy Spirit, about the church, about Christian living, it's all here in this book. That's everything we know. And if it ain't in here, it's not worth talking about. Now, our Wesleyan denomination, we're Wesleyan, I'm Wesleyan, has a saying, Where the Bible speaks, we speak. And where the Bible is silent, we try to be silent. We don't always get it right. But that's our goal. There is no creed. There's no book of doctrine. There is no decree or church of a church denomination that is equal, that equals the depth and the power of God's Holy Word. God's Word first, everything else second. The Bible you hold in your hands or sitting beside you or sitting on your phone is God's Holy Word. That's why Paul said, All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You can read the Apostle Paul's words for yourself in 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting at 16. The New Testament is our authority, the Apostle's teaching. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17 tells us that the sword of of the Spirit is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. On Wednesday nights, our kids learn and memorize scripture. Now they there is some type of bribery going on there. Bear me a boat here, right? They get this stuff called candy. This stuff's called sugar, right? I got no problem with that. Brian's a good briber. They memorize scripture. Ask them sometimes the scriptures they have to memorize. They, we used to call those sword drills. Remember that? When you were going to Sunday school, sword drills? Right? We got no problem with the kids memorizing scriptures. And we got no problem giving them some candy. Because we send them home with you. You're stuck with them. <laughs> Fair? Now I got to get back on the sermon or I'll be in real trouble here. In the same way on Wednesday nights our kids are learning we gather here to become familiar with God's word every week. Now the second thing that we can that we're going to pull from our scripture today our scripture verses is this word called fellowship. Believe it or not fellowship is even important in the military. When an army prepares for war, they do almost everything together. The main goal of a military unit is to build a strong, coerced team. Now the famous General General Norman Schwarzkopf said, to build a strong team, you have to be deliberate. You have to have activity to create mutual support, to get them to the point where they depend on each other. The military always trains as a team. They go over the same obstacle courses together. They help each other over the same walls. They tend to cheer each other on. They coax, they challenge, they prod each other. They pull each member of their team to succeed. They seek team cohesion. Communication is that key to get it. They have to clearly articulate the mission. Sounds military type talk. Well, it is. You have to clearly articulate the mission, the goal, the objective. Then you have to schedule and prepare for unit training events, to train, train, and train. Task cohesion development develops a team that can tackle a task together no matter what happens. So training is critical in strengthening the bonds of working together. Church fellowship is all about creating a church that hangs together and works together. And understands the goal of fellowship. That's why in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 24 it says, Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. But to encourage one another and all the more as you see that day drawing near." And that's what this church does all the time. I watch in amazement as you work together in various ministries. I, I watched in wonder today, as some of you will pick up communion for folks who really can't get out of their seats that easily. And I marvel at... We do fellow... Oh, people comment about it all the time. Let me get off the sermon notes. See, in some churches, five minutes after church is out, everyone's gone, Right? I get accused by other people in town that we must be having an hour and a half, two hour services because cars are still in the parking lot as they drive by. They know when we start. They know when we should end. They want to know how come a car is still here two hours or hour and a half later. You know, I mean, you guys just don't disappear. You stand around and talk to each other. You like each other. Church is all about being together. And you guys thrive on that. Now, the third thing that we're going to pull from our scripture verses today is communion. Acts chapter 2 calls it breaking of bread. The Lord's Supper is one of the four pillars of church worship because it explains why we are here. Communion explains why we meet every Sunday. We meet and eat with Jesus. We meet and walk with Jesus. We, we meet and proclaim that He died for us. We meet to learn what we should do for Jesus. I mean, if He died for me, then I need to serve Him and I because I, I, I owe Him. It was so important that... The, now, when the early... Christians did not have the Bible as we now have it, and they had the apostles teaching, and when the apostles weren't there, they broke bread every every time they met. They broke it every week. They gathered to break the bread. and That's what the early church was known for. In the first few hundred years, they did it. Now, but that's also why we do it monthly. Because this is a place where we quietly remember our sins and ask God to forgive them before we take communion. Communion is a proclamation that He died for me. And also, I must be willing to believe that and live for Him. Jesus paid a really high price for me. Thus, I've got to be ready to war for him. Now, the, just the... T- now, hear, hear me out. Here, This is going to stretch one of you, too. T- just the very taste of grape juice is powerful. A seven-year-old girl... Went to the refrigerator and grabbed a thing of grape juice. Welch's grape juice. It's in that little box, you know. And she tasted it, and she hesitated for a moment. Then she took it to her big sister and said, Here, drink this. Here, taste it. Tell me if it tastes like church. (laughs) Communion should be such a powerful force... In our lives, that even drinking a cup of grape juice should remind us of church. Now lastly, church is a gathering where we pray. Not that we can't pray any other time of the week. I mean, we can pray all by myself. We can pray anywhere. But it is just that. When we pray as a group, it unleashes power from God in a unique way. And things happen when the early church prayed. One of the most impressive prayers for me is found in Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 23, where we're told that Peter and John had been arrested for preaching Jesus. They were brought before the Sanhedrin and were commanded not to preach about Jesus anymore. So Peter and John returned to the church and told all the others about it. And then they prayed. They prayed, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness. For a minister, that, that's, that's, that one hits home. While you stretch out your holy hand, and heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were gathered was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to seek the Lord's word and spoke in boldness. And that's the kind of prayer we need in this world today, that we strive for. Not half-hearted, well, if you don't mind... If you're not too busy, kind of prayers. We want prayers that shake buildings. We want prayers that anticipate and build us and change us. D.L. Moody once said, If God is your partner, make your plans large. If God is your partner... Make your plans large. It'll pop up here on the screen. You're going to sit there and say, no, yeah, he did. He said that. And he's right. We're an army of God. We are Christian soldiers marching as to war. Stand up for Jesus and lift his royal banner. And when we meet to worship God and we talk about what we explore together, the battle plans that he has left us his, in his holy word. We do fellowship. We focus on Jesus' sacrifice, and we pray. And when we do that, we're preparing for war. Now, Winston Churchill, he's one of my old-time favorites. He was rough and gruff and ornery, and he you wouldn't want to introduce your daughters to him, but he saved Europe. And when Winston Churchill was in his early 30s, he tried with all his power to awaken the English-speaking world of the impending dangers of the resurgence of Germany. And at that time, Germany was being influenced by one Corporal Hitler. But Churchill's warnings were to no avail. Actually, they kicked him out of politics because of it. Therefore, it's ironic that after he had done so much to avert this conflict that when the conflict broke out, Britain turned to Churchill to help her fight Nazism. The sense of irony never left him. And years later, when America had entered the war, President Roosevelt asked him the question, what did he feel about the war or what did he think the war should be called? And Churchill answered Roosevelt without hesitation, the unnecessary war. Churchill knew the difficulty of getting people to listen, especially to things that they did not want to hear and to be confronted with tough choices that will affect their personal lifestyle. Today in the world that we live in, we still have the same problem of getting people to listen, especially to things they do not want to hear. The Bible clearly tells us in place after place that we are at war. One of my favorite sections of verse is the armor of God. And so we'll start closing with that. Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, and when the day of evil comes, you will be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, "...stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, in which you extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God." and pray to the Spirit on all occasions, with all kind of prayers and requests, with this in mind. To be alert, and to always keep on praying for the Lord's people. Pray for me also, whenever I speak the words, that I may speak so fearlessly, and make known the mystery of the gospel. For I am but an ambassador in chains. The armor of God. If you study the weapons, the only offensive weapon, technically is a sword, although all of them can be used for offense. But in place after place, you're told you're at war. Can't listen to the world, you got to listen to God's scripture. Now, we're going to invite you for some fellowship. If you're new here, a visitor, you don't know, there's all sorts of goodies out there waiting for you. So what will happen is we're going to have a closing prayer, then you'll do a song, then you're welcome to some fellowship around the table. Not just crackers and Right, we're going to have some real goodies, and what some of you will always laugh. My favorite saying: "There's no calories in church," and I know that's not true. But my pants are getting too tight, so I got to watch what I eat. <laughs> but we need to close. Please remember, you're in a war. Don't forget it. Our heavenly Father, you've called us to be soldiers of the cross. Some are in the front lines, and some are in the back lines. Some are in support positions. And each position is just as important as each other, Father. A frontline soldier cannot fight without those supporting the soldier. May we understand this great message. May we understand the blessing of our children to us. They are going to be at battles that we could never have won ourselves. May we give them strength and honor and glory. They are a blessing to us. But let us finish strong, Father. Some of us are getting near the end. But we are never told we get to retire from the war. Give us strength, is our humble prayer. And all God's people said, Amen.